0: I grew up on Andy Griffith and the Brady Bunch and they always had the answers and every uh, family problem was solved in 30 minutes. It's a lot like the home improvement shows. They put buildings up and they uh, renovate houses and it looks a lot easier than it is. And parenting is just like that. It looks a lot easier than it is. And and part of the difficulty is (laughs) that it's this process that never ends. And so you start, and then you, you have to keep up. Well, look, look, at this, look at this verse. Point your kids in the right direction, and when they're older, they won't be lost. But the pointing never stops. It's like driving a car. You point your car in the right direction, but you're, you're always making subtle adjustments. And if you don't, you end up in a ditch, or you end up uh, in a tree, or you end up in a place you don't want to be. There's always adjustments to be made. And in parenting, you're figuring things out as you go. It's just constant. It's, it's like, like yesterday I mowed the yard. Well, it's only been three weeks and I have to mow it like all the time. It just, it's just something you have to do all the time. And when you become a parent, there's this, it, you're just always parenting. I've got a daughter that's 30, and a daughter that's 17, and two in the middle, and there is a different level of parenting for all four of them. And at 17, we have a little more control, and we have a little more say. When they become uh, in their 20s, then we become advisors, and we offer advice when we're asked, and a lot of times, they don't ask. Parenting is tough. It's incredibly rewarding. I look at my kids, I look at the pictures on, in my office, and they, they just make me smile. It, it's wonderful, but it's hard. I heard about one family, a, a couple, they had just celebrating their 45th wedding anniversary. They had 11 kids and 25 grandkids. And they asked the wife, what was the secret of staying together? And she said, well, once we had the third kid, we, we told one another, if either one of us leave, you have to take the kids with you. And so I think that's part of it. You know, you, you're making this commitment and today we're looking at this couple called Amram and Jochebed. I mean, I don't know why they didn't name people Bill and Peggy, but the Amram and Jochebed are these, this couple who had three amazing kids. You may have heard of all of them. There's a guy named Moses, you've probably heard of him, uh, his brother Aaron, his sister's name was Miriam. They lived in an era, I want you to think about this, this was thousands of years ago, but there were conflicts and difficulties and they did certain things and they parented in a certain way that I think if we look at how they did it we can glean some uh, valuable information, some some pointers, some tips that we can employ when we're going to parent uh, our kids. Um, They were raised in an unideal circumstance. If you'll recall uh, the the Jews lived uh, in Egypt. Egypt had enslaved them the pharaoh had decided that they were becoming too many Jewish people. And so he decided, he issued an edict that the Jewish boys, any Jewish boy that was born was supposed to be thrown into the Nile River. It's, it's, it's horrible and barbaric. But if you think about it, there are countries today where, like, like China, there's a limit on how many kids you can have. And so pharaoh, in order to... Uh, keep the slave population. I think his fear was that there would become so many of these Jewish people that they would overthrow uh, his, uh, his country. And so in order to, uh, to combat that, to kind of preempt that, he decided he was going to issue this edict and all the Jewish boys who were born were to be summarily thrown into the Nile River and killed. Now, we're going to learn from these folks, but I want to issue my warning that I'm going to issue every week. Much of what you'll hear during this series runs contrary to current teaching and to uh, ideas in society. So, as I said last week, I'm I'm going to present the information. Uh, I believe it's biblical. I believe it's uh, holy and, and wholesome. But you as parents, you have to decide, this is what I will, and this is what I won't do. So I'll present, you decide. That's what we're going to do. So let's just kind of jump in. Uh, A biblical strategy for raising godly children. That's what we're going to talk about today. And the first thing is, you have to be unified as parents. So Moses' parents hid him, hid Moses, for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. Now, the thing I want you to notice is they were unified in hiding the baby, from being executed. You might think, well, duh, I mean, every parent would do that. Well, maybe not, because the order was if you are caught hiding your baby, then not only is your baby executed, but you also will be executed. So they were risking their lives. They decided, okay, it's worth risking our lives for our baby son's life. They noticed that he was... um, He was no ordinary child. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But unity is the key. And in parenting, it's really a lot about unity. You uh, get together, you decide, these are the things I'm going to do. These are the things we're going to let you do and not do. You come up with a lot of that uh, beforehand. For example, um, you know, I have daughters, and so Miriam made a lot of the rules, and I just agreed with them. You know, that's kind of how that worked. We were unified, mostly because I did what Miriam said. But she she knew a little more about, you know, how to to be a girl. I didn't know anything about it. And so she knew what they needed and didn't need, and we we just had rules. And there was a a rule. You know, there's a rule about you can date uh, at this age. Uh, My suggestion was over my dead body. Uh, That didn't work. And so we came up with a compromise on that. Uh, they got their ears pierced at 13 or 12 or something, and, and they could wear makeup. I don't even know what the rule was, but there was a rule. And if the girls came to me and they said, what do you think about this? I would always say, what does your mother say about that? Because we were unified. And if they came to their mom, and I had already made a, a kind of a, a judgment on it, uh, she would say, what does your daddy say about it? We had a rule about who they could spend the night with, what they could watch, what they couldn't watch. Um, we believed and trusted that when they were out on their own, they would, they would adhere to the rules that they'd been uh, placed under at our house. This is extremely difficult to be unified when you're divorced, when your kids have messages from different uh, homes. It's tough. It's really hard. And kids are super smart. They have a strategy, it's called divide and conquer. Uh, they are great at this. They'll ask one parent, and if they don't get the right answer, the answer they want, they'll go to the other parents. It's just how it works. I was at a volleyball tournament two weeks ago. Uh, one of Elisa's teammates has a little sister. She's cute as a button. And I watched her, it was fun to watch. She would go to her mom, Mama, I want a piece of pizza. It's $1.50. And it's like, no, we're not paying $1.50 for pizza. You know, what did she do? What do you think she did? She went to her daddy. Daddy. <laughs> I mean, the eyes, the lip. I mean, she had it all. She was, she's a maestro. Daddy. I'm a little hungry. I mean, this kid, she, she was perfect. I'm a little hungry. And they have pizza over there, and it's just a $1.50. fifty. Well, sure, let's buy two pieces. I mean, that's what dads do. Dads and girls, it is something. I mean, it really is something. And so you you have to be unified in your approach to your kids. You have a working idea. Again, what I said oftentimes was, what did your mom say about that? Well, then I agree with your mother. A second thing really important is be perceptive about your child's potential. Parents, listen to me. Let them be what God designed them to be, not what you want them to be. Too often we want them to be great athletes or great singers. They're going to win American Idol or they're going to win they're going to play in the NFL. Probably not. Let me give you some statistics. 1.2% of girls who play high school volleyball go make a D1 roster. 1.2%. 2.4% of girls who play soccer in high school make a D1 roster, a division one. Uh, 2.0% of girls who play softball make a D1 roster. 2.3% of boys who play high school baseball make a D1 roster. 3% of boys who play high school football make a D1 roster. Less than 1% of boys who play high school basketball make a D1 roster. And then if you happen to make a D1 roster, the odds of you making a professional team are about one percent. We have a saying for this in Kentucky, them odds ain't very good. (laughs) That's just not good odds. And so if you're, if you're hoping that they'll become something like that, you can help them, you can wish for it, you can pray for it, but understand something, you should be realistic. I've had four daughters who play lots of sports. I can't even count. My kids have played softball, baseball, basketball, soccer, volleyball, track, golf, tennis. There's one more. I've been to everything. I've enjoyed all of it except cross-country. It's horrible. Have you ever been to a cross-country meet? This is a cross-country meet. That's it. I mean, that's the whole thing. You watch them run by, and then they're running in the woods, and then they come back, and that's it. It's horrible. You watch your watch a lot because you're hoping and praying it's over. Uh, You know, you act like, hey, you ran that lap in two points." No, no. You're just wanting it to be over. Okay, so I I like that my girls played sports because it gave me a connection with them. If they had wanted to be, you know, uh, bakers or if they had wanted to be cheerleaders or, I mean, those aren't things I know about. But you want to know what? If they had been into those things, I would have been into those things. I did not enjoy uh, soccer until my kids started playing. I would never watch soccer. I mean... It, it just didn't appeal to me. But then my girls started playing. You want to know what? <laughs> Elise and I watch soccer together all the time now. If it's on, we'll watch it. If it's, a big, if it's a big match, I mean, we don't watch it all the time, but we watch volleyball all the time. Today, most of you men are going to be watching what? Football. Football. <laughs> yeah, okay. You want to know what I'm going to be watching with my daughter? Volleyball. There are two really great matches on today. One at one and one at three. I know all about it. I've already got it mapped out in my mind. These are the things Elise and I are going to do today. Because she loves volleyball. So we're going to watch it. That's what we're going to do. I'm going to not watch football. You want to know what? I'm not going to miss that. I can't tell you who won last week, much less who's going to win this week. I, I, it doesn't really matter to me. It does matter to me that I spend some time with my kids. And so... Have a realistic expectation of who they are. It, says, it said about uh, Moses that his parents saw that he was exceptional. Uh, m- my mother said the same thing about me. <laughs> I weighed 10 pounds and 11 ounces when I was born. I was exceptional. That's really big. My mom is having her 90th birthday on Wednesday. So let's all give her a big uh, happy birthday, would you? Happy birthday, Mana! Yeah, woo! I got her the sweetest card... On the cover, it says, "In the beginning, God created the heavens and the Earth." And then on the inside it says, "So what was that like?" <laughs> it's not very Christian, but it is funny. Uh, so she'll enjoy that, I think. You have to be perceptive about your kids. Uh, The Bible says Jochebed became pregnant and had a son, and she saw that he was something special. She was taking note of what he was good at and what he was going to be. Even at a young age, you can sort of see these things. When you ask your kid, what is your goal? What are your ambitions? What do you want to be when you grow up? It might change, but you're perceptive. Look at what it says in Psalm 127. Children born to a young man are like sharp arrows in a warrior's hand. What do you do with an arrow? you point it at something you draw the string back and you let it go you point it at something so what are your kids good at what are they what are they interested in zig ziglar who is this great motivational speaker uh, in, in the last sort of a uh, few years ago um, last generation He wrote a book called uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People, but he also wrote a book called um, See You at the Top. And in in that book, he gives this illustration about how you can teach a flea to stay in a a jar even with the lid is off. So he said, this is what you do. You put some fleas in a jar and you put a lid on it and you punch some holes and the fleas will jump and they'll hit the lid. And then they'll figure out, well, they don't want to hit the lid anymore, so they'll jump not quite to the lid. And then you can take the lid off and the fleas will stay inside. And his point was this you can limit what your kids become if you put a lid on them. So you encourage them, you, you challenge them, push them a little bit. I was thinking about my kids. What, what, are, they, what are they good at? Now, Miriam and I were talking about it the other day. I have a, my oldest daughter, Amaris, Oh, she, she was always a planner and an organizer, she is incredibly adventurous. We lived in New Mexico. Uh, she had gotten out of college. she worked in New Mexico for just a little bit. She bought a uh, six-speed uh, manual transmission, uh, I, uh, what was a Honda Fitz, a Honda Fit. A Honda Fit. Um, she had never driven a stick shift in her life, not one time. She bought this car on Wednesday. She drove to Louisville for a new job on Saturday. <laughs> now that's adventurous, you know? Mallory, my number two daughter, oh my word, she has never met a stranger. She is wonderfully vivacious. She is outgoing. She's an incredible linguist. She lives in Switzerland now and is picking up the language. She's just really good at that. She has lots of friends in any room. If you want a conversation, Mallory's the one. Janelle, my third daughter, well, she's creative and confident and outspoken. Elise, you might know Elise, Elise is bright, and she's caring and personable. Last week uh, at that volleyball tournament, her team is pretty good. They're they're really good. They've they've only lost one match all year, Uh, so they're pretty good. Uh, There are five seniors, and then one uh, sophomore and one freshman, and then uh, eighth graders, so a lot of younger ones. The five seniors are the core They kind of, you know, kind of hang out together. Um, They won this tournament. We went to have dinner together. All of them had to have dinner together. Uh, The four other seniors sat on one end of the table and Elise sat down on the other end with the young ones because she didn't want them to feel left out. You you observe these things about your kids. What are they doing? What, What are they? Who are they? Internally. Uh, What motivates them? What gets them going? Benjamin West was a an artist of a long time ago, and he talks about when he became an artist, which is a really cool story. His sister Sally was babysitting him. She kind of let him do what he wanted to do. He was at the kitchen table, he got the paint out. He was he was painting. He was trying to paint his sister Sally. He made a mess. His mom came in, and he says, instead of blowing her top, she looked at my picture, and she said, oh, Benjamin, that's Sally, isn't it? And then he says, she kissed me on my forehead, and that kiss made me an artist. What do you see in your child? Another translation of this verse we looked at earlier, train up a child in the way he should go and in keeping with their individual gift or bent. What are they good at? Don't squelch their creativity and who they can become, but don't push them into what you want them to be. I have a buddy in Kentucky I was talking to a few days ago and, and he was a football player in high school and I said, hey man, how's your son? Is he playing any sports? And he goes, no man, but he loves to hunt and fish. And we do that together. And so your kids don't have to do what you did. A third thing, and this is really important, combat the pressures of the world because your kids are getting signals from everywhere, probably now more than ever before. We have this device in our pockets. Most of our children have one. They look at them all the time. They are getting messaging all the time. They get messaging at school, they get messages on their phone, they're getting messages on television or TikTok or whatever they're watching. They are getting uh, messaging all the time. And so we have a responsibility to protect them. Now, let's continue with our story about Moses and his mom, Jochebed, when Jacobed could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch, and then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. So their strategy was they hid him away as long as they could, but you know, children, little infants have a tendency to cry and hoop and make noise, and if the neighbors heard, there was probably something to be said for if, you're, if you hear something, you say something, and the neighbors were going to give them away, and they had to do something. So their plan, as crazy as it seems, was to build a little boat out of papyrus Put the baby in it, put it amongst the reeds in the Nile River, and pray that God would do something great and this is a little bit of a metaphor about our kids and this world because we have our children and we build uh, you know a home for them, a little boat, and we uh, put them in this boat, but eventually they get set into the world and it's dangerous and there are many dangers out there and, and so uh, it's, it's a kind of this beautiful picture of of what we do and Pharaoh's looking to kill babies and crocodiles are in the Nile there's a lot of danger and the Bible says be alert parents be alert be on the watch your enemy the devil roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour and he's really good at it and kids they're susceptible to the pressure and the danger. So, how do you combat the pressure of the world? Well, you take advantage of teachable moments. In Deuteronomy, this is a great text. It says, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength." These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And then this instruction to parents impress these commandments on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Teachable moments. You teach your kids when you're driving. You teach your kids when you're watching something together. You teach your kids when you're sitting at the dinner table together. I heard about one father. He was trying to teach his son the the perils of alcohol. And so he put two uh, jars on the kitchen table. He filled one with Water. One with whiskey. This is a Kentucky uh, guy. Uh, With whiskey, he had two worms. He put one worm in the water and one worm in the whiskey. And then he said, son, watch this. And they watched for a while, and the worm in the water was okay, but the worm in the whiskey perished kind of quick. And he said, okay, son, what did you learn right here? And the son said, well, dad, it looks to me like if you drink alcohol, you won't get worms. wasn't exactly the lesson he was trying to teach. So you may have to teach it more than once. But take advantage of teachable moments. Have a spiritual walk yourself. They will watch you. I I love YouTube. I love it because I can do anything after I watch a video on YouTube. The other day I have this speaker and it wouldn't pair with my phone. And I tried, you know, and, and, and then I watched a 30-second video, and I could do it. And your kids are watching you. Uh, there, there's a, a certain brand of paper towel that's call, called the quicker picker-upper. And I think you could probably say that about your kids as well. They, they watch you. So how do you do it? How do you have your own spiritual life? Well, you attend church together, even when you're on vacation, Uh, I remember one time, we were on vacation in Florida. We walked into this church. Um, When you're a pastor and you take your kids to church, it was a church that wasn't very large and they knew we were new. I I mean, it was like they know you're new. And so the preacher from the pulpit said, hey, y'all, you're new, aren't (laughs) you? Yeah, Um, stand up and tell us who you are. Uh, I'm a preacher and didn't even want to do that. So when it was over, we went to lunch. I said, girls, this is why we're never going to do that at our church. Because you see how you felt? We're not going to do that. Everything is a teachable moment. So you go to church. You model reading your Bible. Let them catch you reading your Bible. It's really important. You serve with them. Did you know that on any given Sunday, we have between 8 and 10 of our youth serving in children's ministry? I saw some of them serving today. I know Elisa's serving. I saw Riley back there. She's serving. I know those two are serving today. I think Mackenzie's serving. We have a bunch of kids that serve. Let them serve with you. It doesn't have to be at church. Uh, Maybe your neighbor needs his yard mowed. Go mow the yard. Let your son help you or your daughter. Do something nice for somebody. Bake something and bring it to somebody. Let them see you serve and let them serve with you. We've been on mission trips together as a family. We've done service projects together as a family. Serve together. Show them it's not all about you being served. Uh, Often it's about you finding a place to serve. Pray for them and with them. At the dinner table is a great time to pray. You pray, and and you pray with them. Teach them to tithe. Teach them the things that are important to you. Show them what it looks like. Show them what it looks like. Monitor what they watch and listen to. It's really hard today. Here's the thing. You uh, You could have blocks on the phone, on your kid's phone, and they'll just look at somebody else's phone. So you have to develop some trust, and you, you ask questions. Don't just assume, and you find out. In, in Psalm 101, it says, I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar, and you know what that means for you too. And it doesn't matter what your, other, your kids' other friends are watching or looking at or allowed to do. It doesn't matter what uh, their other parents allow them to wear or see or go where they are allowed to go. You are responsible to God for your child. So you monitor who they hang out with. My dad's favorite verse for me uh, when I was growing up bad company corrupts good character. I was quoted this verse, oh, I don't know, a billion times. I was quoted this verse a billion times, mostly about my friend Mike Wilson, who was a troublemaker. <laughs> Daddy would say, You know, son, bad company corrupts good character, and he's right. And so it is okay to say, mm, maybe you don't hang out with them. You are their friend. You can be friend. You can be friendly. You don't have to hang out. It's okay to not hang out. Here, let, let, me, let me just say it real plain. For a lot of parents, let me give you this piece of advice. Get off your phone and connect with your kid. It is amazing to me how many parents have abdicated parenting to a screen. You've got your kids for a little window of time. It, it won't last forever. They're going to be gone someday. Do you want them thinking of you like this? Probably not. In the mall, there's a, a petri dish called the Play Zone. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been there or not. <laughs> it's horrible. Uh, I'm not for masks, but I wear one around that thing. I was like, "Oh my!" Where are I? If you next time you're at the mall, and I don't advise you going to the mall, but if you go to the mall, when you walk by that, I want you to see how many kids have a parent who's interacting with them, because it'll be none. It'll be none. Don't do that. (laughs) You're called to something better than that. 85% of the personalities of any child are developed by the age of seven. By the age of seven. So, you give them your undivided attention. Now, that having been said, make the marriage the centerpiece of your home. They're not to be the center of attention, but they are to get your attention. You make your marriage the best it can be. The best thing you can do for your kid is to provide a stable home for them. I, you, I looked up this week in USA, uh, U.S. News and World Report. There's an estimate that by the time your child reaches 18 years old, you will have spent up to $310,000 on them. And when they're 15, they don't even want to be seen with you. It's a lot of money for a little reward if you think about it. So, you develop a relationship with them. You give them appropriate responsibility. This is huge. And in the story of Moses, he has a sister named Miriam. Now, I don't know how old she is. It doesn't really say here. But Moses is three months old. So let's just sort of, just for argument's sake, let's say Miriam is probably not older than 10. Maybe 12. She's she's there um, and she's given this responsibility. So you remember where we are in the story, right? Uh, You have uh, Jochebed and she makes this little boat out of papyrus and she coats it with tar and pitch. And then she puts it among the reeds, and she walks away. And she gives her daughter Miriam, this young girl, a huge task. Moses' sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. And what happened to him was uh, Pharaoh's daughter, she comes into the river to bathe, and there she sees this little basket, and she goes over, has somebody go over and bring the basket to her. And when she looks in the basket, there's a baby boy, a little Hebrew baby boy. And can you imagine? So Miriam is this little girl, and she's watching this. Now, Pharaoh's daughter would have certainly known the rule, the law, which was to execute Hebrew baby boys. Pharaoh's daughter would have most certainly known this because the edict came from her dad, the Pharaoh. But she finds this precious baby boy. Miriam is sitting back, watching all this transpire. And she comes out from amongst the reeds. And she asks Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? And I want you to think about this. If you're Pharaoh's daughter and you've just found this baby, and you know what you're supposed to do? According to the law, what you need at that moment is an option, a better option. And this little girl named Miriam gives her a better option. You know what? She's basically saying, hey, that, that baby could be your baby. And you don't even have to go through labor. (laughs) It's like, woo, that's good. The, The level of responsibility given to this child is unbelievable. Now, not only does she come forward, she speaks to one of the most important people in the country. You got Pharaoh, you have some officials. Pharaoh's daughter is going to be really high on the list of people that are important in Egypt. She not only approaches Pharaoh's daughter at a young age, she speaks and makes a request. Would you like for me to find a mother to nurse this baby for you? I don't know if I've ever thought about it until I was preparing this message this week. It is an amazing level of confidence that Jochebed had on her daughter to say, "Watch, you know they came up with a plan. Hey, if somebody finds the baby, if one of the Egyptians finds the baby, then you go and you offer uh, my services to nurse the baby." It's brilliant. The plan was brilliant. You know, one of the struggles in marriage are parents who won't let go. A survey recently of 2,000 married uh, couples, they asked them, what are are your biggest struggles? 44% said our parents continue to want to be involved in decision-making in our home. Well, it's not your role now. I loved my dad. I loved him. I thought he had godly wisdom and I asked him for it, but he never offered it unless I asked. When Miriam and I were much younger, we had three of our three girls before Elise. They were all, I think, six, four, and two, little bitty. We were serving in a church in Bergen, Kentucky. My parents lived in the next town over. They were members of my church. My parents were in heaven because they were around their grandbabies. And God called us to New Mexico, to a church in New Mexico. You wanna know how far it was? My dad told me, 1,252 miles. <laughs> he knew exactly how far it was. One of the things I appreciate about both my mom and my dad. My mother told me that when we moved, that they couldn't look at each other. Because when they did, they would just cry. She said she could hardly breathe. You know when I found that out? Last year. We we made a decision that we thought was what the Lord wanted, and I think it was. And it caused them a lot of pain, and they never held that against us. One Christmas, we couldn't come home. It just wasn't going to work out. And my parents didn't say anything like, well, I hope we're still here next Christmas. You know, that's the kind of stuff that we do. There's something to be said for releasing your kids. We're going to talk about it in a couple of weeks. Let's push on. Pharaoh's daughter said to Jochebed, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. And there is a little bit of a debate how long Jochebed would have had Moses in her care. Some believe uh, seven, others say 12 years. Do you recall how much of a personality a person has developed by the time they're seven years old? Do you remember what the statistic was? 85%. So for seven years, Jacobed is saying to this little boy, we're Hebrews. We're different. We have one God. The Egyptians have many gods. We live by a certain code, a certain way of life. Others don't. Someday you're going to go live in this world. But I'm going to teach you what we believe in our world. This is what our people think. This is who we are. Something else. Accept your responsibility. The Bible says bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Too often you'll see parents who want to be friends with their kids. That happens over time, but not when they're little. You have authority over you. You are authority over them. You teach them what it's like. Everybody has authority over them. We all have a boss. We all have laws that we have to adhere to. We have police officers. We have, um, we have uh, airport security. We have wives. We have somebody we're accountable to. All of us have these kinds of things. And so we teach them what it's like to have someone who has authority over us. You're gentle, but firm. You pray for them daily. The Bible says the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power. I think the two things you should pray most about, Lord, give me wisdom to lead. Give us wisdom to lead. And the second thing is, Lord, teach our kids to love you deeply. Give us wisdom. Teach our kids to love you deeply. I'm going to end with this one. Continue to love them no matter what. The Bible instructs us, all of us, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Can't you imagine that Moses' parents were disappointed in him at times? When he turned 40, he lost his temper and murdered a person. Then he was a fugitive and ran off. I can't imagine that was a highlight reel for the at, at the family reunion. And yet he was loved. Miriam and, and Aaron weren't great either. They they were jealous of their brother, they complained. I too have a history of mistakes. But I never doubted that my parents loved me. I can't imagine there weren't times that they were ashamed. I never felt unloved. It's more difficult when your child doesn't repent. If they repent, you can restore the relationship. It's much easier. If they don't, you love from a distance. You can love without endorsing. But you love no matter what. Because we have a heavenly Father. Who loves us no matter what? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example, this couple, their family. I pray that we might apply what we've heard today. As we parent, as we as we are friends to others, help us to follow your way. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.